This is a podcast by The Straits Times. The HSBC Women's World Championship was back in Singapore at the start of the month where most of the world's top 20 golfers and all of last season's major champions battled for top honours in the March 2nd to 5th event. Hi, I'm ST Sports reporter Deepan Raj Ganesan and while I was at the Sentosa Golf Club to witness the action unfold, I had the pleasure to speak to one of golf's top female icons of the past, Michelle Wee West. And I gathered her thoughts on her rise to fame, the stereotypes women face in sport and how she was driven to perfect the technique in her game. Here's my conversation with a former winner of the HSBC Women's Championship, a former US Open winner and the youngest player to qualify for an LPGA event. I'm joined by one of golf's biggest stars, Michelle Wee West. Welcome to ST Sports Talk. First of all, what brings you to sunny Singapore this time around? You know, what capacity are you coming here for? Yeah, um, I think people think I'm playing the event. Unfortunately, I'm not. HSBC and Marina Bay Sands were gracious enough to bring me back. I've been dying to come back to Singapore. So this is an amazing opportunity for me to come back. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, of course, in an ambassador role, you know, you have responsibility to promote the sport. Uh, is that a role that you enjoy doing? I do. You know, I, I think transitioning away from playing full-time, it's really allowed me to give me some time to do the things I'm very passionate about. And one of them is growing the game and, you know, having more diversity in the game, allowing more access into the game and breaking down barriers. So growing the game and being here and, you know, supporting the tour is something that I'm, you know, I love doing. Fantastic. In any sport, you know, idols are always important. They are people that we look up to. Who was your idol growing up? And are you conscious of the fact that right now you're an idol to a lot of golfers out there? And are you conscious of that? You know, it's always weird to think of yourself as an idol. You know, I do understand that I have a responsibility towards younger generations. Um, more importantly, you know, now that I have a daughter, that's something that I constantly think about is leading and showing her how to do it instead of just talking about it. So that's very important to me. You know, my role models were Sari Park, Ernie Els, Tiger Woods. You know, Sari was very important in, you know, my career because, you know, seeing a South Korean woman win the U.S. Open, that was, you know, really the first time that I, I thought I could do it. Um, you know, seeing Chan Ho Park play for the Dodgers. And, you know, that's why I really think representation in sports and, you know, on TV and in movies are just are so important for, you know, us people of color. Just want to talk about getting into the sport. Uh, how did it begin for you, and what was the most fascinating thing about golf early on for you? Um, driving the golf cart was the most fascinating <laughs> thing for me. Um, so yeah, I played a lot of different sports. I knew I wanted to be a pro athlete. That was just something I wanted to be at when I was very, very young. My parents played, um, and I just wanted to go out and play with them. Uh, we want to talk about the various stereotypes that are still in sport. Uh, in your opinion, what are some stereotypes that women still face in sport? Um, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, this will end up being a five-hour podcast where I start really going down that path. But, you know, I just think that I can't really list anything like really specifically right now. But it's just a lot of, you know, microaggressions that we we see. I think, you know, when you see... Still to this day, when you see girls wearing short skirts or perceived a certain way or um, certain outfits or certain hair, how they look determines, you know, their popularity. And it's just some things that men don't really have to think about as much. You know, I think being a mother, there's a lot of stereotypes in that way as well um, when you're a working mom. And, and you just touched on it, um, this appearance thing. It's something that men uh, don't really face. 
But whose role is this? You know, is this a societal thing? Is this a media responsibility to educate? How does someone help this prejudice, so as to speak? You know, I think it's it's all of it. Society, media, it's who the media chooses to have on their screen versus other people. You know, I think it's a lot. It's a combination. There's no real easy answer to that, to mm-hmm. how to fix it. I think it's, um, you know, very complicated and very layered. And of course, uh, women in sport, they seem to always face a relentless pressure of trying to maintain a certain look. Uh, I think you've talked about it before as well, but does it take emotional and psychological toll on someone and, and did it have the effect on you? Um, I mean, not really, I guess. I never really thought of it too much. You know, I think everyone, men or women, has their own insecurities. Um, I saw this meme on Instagram that really hit me. It was this funny meme like, oh, why are dad bods more socially acceptable when it's literally the woman that's creating the baby, right? Like mom bods are not socially mm-hmm. acceptable, but dad bods are like completely. So I don't know how it is over here, but in America, that's the case. And, you know, it's just that kind of stuff. But no, I mean, I didn't really think about it too much, I guess. And, and a big part of modern sports as well is the social media element of it. And we see a lot of trolls online. Uh, how do golfers deal with that? You know, do you engage or do you not engage? And again, you know, what kind of toll does it take on someone? Like, and golfers don't normally speak about it. You know, it's a, uh, I think everyone deals with it their own way. I hardly do Twitter now. I hardly go on Twitter. I feel like every time someone or anyone posts or it's just a slew of mean comments i don't know why for some reason on that platform it seems that way to me so i just kind of remove myself because i'm like okay what am i gaining from putting myself out there and then reading the comments and i was like okay this just i'm just gonna remove myself i might get back on it or might not i don't know you know i feel like i really do enjoy social media because it allows me to express myself to my fans directly and speak to them directly and you know share the content that I want to share. It is a very dangerous path to go on to read because it could really alter your mood, both good and bad. And it gives the people the power to do that, which is very, very scary. You know, your happiness should come with within. It should come from your family and your friends. And now you're giving power to people that you've never met before, the people that can hide behind a fake profile picture or no profile picture. So I think social media is a very interesting thing. You know, it's made the world a better and a worse place. And in this worst place that you talk about, do you feel that uh, when it comes to mental health, it's not really something that's talked about often in golf? And what would you like to see? You know, do you like, would you like uh, uh, people to come out and golfers to come out and talk more about it? Do you think that needs to happen? Yeah, I mean, I think it's already happening. I think a lot of players are talking about mental health. I think athletes are. I think it's, important to show the kids that you can be strong and you can be weak at the same time and you don't have to be this invincible superhero to be a world cath athlete i think we're all all humans at the end of the day and um you know multi-layered and i think athletes are doing a really good job of communicating that now i would like to talk about fame now you of course shot to fame at a very early age i would just like to know what was that first moment that you realized that you were famous um, I guess when I was like 10 or so, the city came to my school and assigned me Michelle Wee Day. And I was like, okay, this is not normal. So that was interesting. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, I grew up in a time where we didn't have social media, you know, so I didn't really, I guess, wasn't aware of it for a lot longer than, you know, if there was, if I grew up in this day and age mm-hmm. now. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. 
And now back to my conversation with Michelle Wee West. And of course, what does fame do to a person's life and does it almost grow you up instantly? You know, I give a lot of credit to my parents to putting a very big emphasis on not letting that happen to me and letting me or pushing me to have a very normal life outside the golf course. You know, so I led a very dual life growing up. I played in LPG tournaments as a kid, but I also went to school full time. I had an opportunity to go to a specialized golf academy and move across to Florida. But my parents thought it was more important for me to go to regular school, have the same friends. Um, and, you know, when I turned pro young, they made me have to go to college. They're like, you can turn pro, but you have to go to college. And I think that looking back on it, that was the greatest gift my parents ever, ever gave me. Fantastic. Managing fame is, is one of the, the parts of uh, being a great. What are small things that people don't see about it? It's hard. I mean, people see the glam. People see people holding trophies and highlights. And, you know, social media does that as well. Yeah. Um, traveling to amazing places like Singapore. But what you don't see is the packing of the bags, the 18-hour flight, bags getting lost along the way. And putting a 50-pound golf bag in your car, out of your car, lugging around, you know, people don't see that. People don't see the bad days where you're in your hotel room and lock yourself in. You know, they only see the glam. And what are the good things about it? The good things, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of good things. Um, you know, if it wasn't for golf, I don't think I would have traveled the way that I did. I mean, I don't know if I would have ever really come to Singapore if it wasn't for golf or come to Singapore this many times. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we would go to Malaysia every year. We go to Thailand every year. Australia, like, of course, I probably would travel because I love traveling, but just to be able to come to these places, these countries, and to really learn about the, you know, about the culture, um, it's amazing. I just gained so many life experiences that I know other people, you know, haven't, and I feel very blessed. And you talk about these places that you've been to through golf. What would rank as the best, you know, as the best place you've been to through golf? Oh, that's hard. I don't know if I have one. I mean, I have Korean heritage, so um, going back to Korea is always one of my favorites. But, you know, I, I like them all. They're all very different from one another. But, yeah, I've had a lot of great experiences from all the places. And being famous, of course, does mean certain disturbances. So have you ever gone out in disguise? Um, Yeah, for sure. It's hard to disguise a six-foot Asian girl, though. <laughs> Yeah, but in terms of like people meeting you on the street, did that happen quite a lot when you first broke on the scene? And, and how did you learn to deal with that? Oh, yeah, that was the hardest part about being in high school, being in middle school and having people come up to me at restaurants because, you know, you're going through puberty. It's such an awkward phase in general and, you know, where your friends aren't going through the same life experiences. So I don't think I handled it great when I was a kid. Um I think a lot of people said I was standoffish, but it was more so like awkwardness because it's like really awkward when you're grabbing pizza with your friends and people are coming over for an autograph and you're going through puberty or, you know, I was really shy and I didn't know what to do. I'm a lot more comfortable now. I love it when people come up to me. I think it's really sweet. But yeah, it was it was difficult growing up and, you know, having to deal with that. I didn't know what to do. That was like such a weird concept to me. Uh, in 2014, of course, uh, there was news that you got flowers from Adam Sandler after the US well, Open win. Yeah. Is that true? And, and talk to me more about that. I did. Yeah, that was really cool. He signed at Happy Gilmore, which is awesome. We played together in like 2005 or so and that was a really cool experience i'm a huge adam sandler fan obviously happy gilmore is my favorite golf movie so 
yeah, to get congratulatory flowers from him was amazing. It was it was really cool. When we look at golf as a sport, it does seem like it's a sport that has many mental obstacles when you're playing the game. What kind of training goes into coping with that? Because for something that's technical, like football, for example, you know, we train on kicking mm-hmm. and all. But this mental part of it, how do you train on it? Um, You know, for me, I found um, confidence in practice, um, just knowing that I can do it. I feel like I played best when I just treat it as a game. So f- through practice, I would just make everything a game and try to recreate pressure situations. Um, yeah, was, I mean, I, when I made it fun, it was the easiest. And in golf, sometimes it's almost like you have too much time to think in between your shots. Was that the biggest obstacle in the game, you know, having too much time as opposed to being just instinctive with what you do? Yeah, I mean, I don't know anything else, so I, can't, I have nothing to compare it to. Um, this is all I've known. But yeah, I mean, it really makes a difference who you play with, who your caddy is. I'm an only child, so I have a lot of imaginary friends in my head, so that helps. And, you know, like for example, uh, this part about trying to perfect your swing and all, is this because, you know, there's so much time that you overthink what you want to do? And has that affected your game before, do you feel? Yeah, I mean, I've changed my swing a lot. I mean, I think that happens in any sport, you know, in any competitive athlete. You just keep wanting to do better and you're never satisfied with what you have and Golf is one of those sports that can really bring that out. just want to talk about exposure uh, in women's sport, for golf especially. Do you feel along the way the exposure for women's sport has got better? And what more can be done to increase that? Yeah, it's gotten better. It needs to get better um, still. I think uh, there needs to be a bigger investment in the TV side. I mean, I think TV window is one thing, but, you know, also having more equipment, more technology you know, making the broadcast better because it's one thing to have a window, but then the quality of broadcast is, you know, it's different just because of the technical aspect to it. Uh, what about golfers themselves? And what can golfers do to increase that exposure? Nothing. I mean, they're, they're doing great. It just needs to be the media companies that need to invest more into women's sports, stop thinking of it as a charitable aspect and really dive in and, you know, notice how good these girls are. Our last few questions, just want to talk about what you're doing at the moment. So I've read that you're into podcasts as well. That part of this after career thing, you know, what do you enjoy most about it? You know, what do you enjoy most talking about when it comes to your previous experiences or just talking to other athletes in general? Yeah, no, it's been, uh, we, my friend and I, we have a podcast, Golf Mostly. Um, It's been a really fun experience, you know, working with one of your best friends and we've had amazing guests on. We talk about golf mostly, (laughs) Um, you know, but it's been fun to do things I never had time to do. Like I grow vegetables, um, you know, stuff like silly stuff like that, that I've never really had time to do when you travel 10 months out of the year. You you talk about growing vegetables, like it's it's on your bucket list, you know, was it on your bucket list and what other things... Uh, on out on your bucket, bucket list. list. Oh yeah, it was definitely on my bucket list. Um, well, I mean, I have a child, so I'm, you know, I think like skydiving and, you know, going to Egypt on a whim um, and seeing the pyramids are, you know, not as realistic, but um, growing vegetables, definitely very happy doing it. All right, perfect. Thank you so Thank much you. for speaking to us. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.